Amen. Hey, good morning, 11 a.m. How you doing? Oh, no. Not, let me be honest. 9 a.m. had you. So good morning, 11 a.m. How are you? Much better. It is good to be with you. I love uh, seeing your full faces on Sunday morning. So we are grateful that you have decided to jump back in with us. And so uh, just one more quick thing that Jason uh, uh, wanted to, we forgot to kind of talk about this morning is uh, part of being a part of the community means we want to be as open and as transparent uh, kind of where we are in the life of the church as possible. And so a couple times a year, what we like to do is we like to have a couple town hall meetings. And so it's been about uh, six months since we had our last one. And so I wanted to let you know that Thursday night at 6.30 uh, on Facebook Live, we're going to do a little bit how is the church doing? So we are hopefully on the tail end of this uh, kind of strange season that we uh, have been in. And so our hope is to check in about how the church is doing um, just kind of across the board and also to share with you about next steps, about where we feel God is calling us to uh, push into this next school year. And so please check in with us, uh, tune in with us, excuse me, on Thursday night around 6.30 on Facebook Live. So with that said, we uh, our rhythm around Riverside is we like to um, teach kind of what's going on in the community. So for the last four weeks, we've been kind of in, in a series, and then we bounce back between series and just diving into a book of the Bible. So we just pick something for the semester, and we go two feet all in. And so today, we are starting the book of Hebrews. Man, I thought there'd be like some cheers or something, but don't, hey, 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 don't give me the pity cheers. Listen, here's the thing. By the time we get to the end of Hebrews, when I say, hey, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, you're going to say, yes, we love it. It's that good. So Hebrews is a powerful, powerful book. It's going to be a really good one for us to walk through. So we'll do it, hopefully get it in before Christmas time this year. But by no means, by no means can we cover everything on a Sunday morning. And so our plan is, what we're going to do is we're going to take a chunk of it on Sunday morning and what we don't get to on Sunday morning, we will get to on Tuesday evenings. And so on Facebook Live uh, and on YouTube, we'll stream kind of a little discussion uh, that Jason will be leading us in every Tuesday night on the chunks of scripture that we do not get to on Sunday morning. So there's a couple different ways for you to follow along with us as we walk through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, no one will, no one will accuse Riverside of picking easy books to go through. The book of Hebrews is a titan of a book. It is up there with uh, Romans, which we did all last year. And at first glance, if you have ever read through the book of Hebrews, I want to tell you, at first reading, you're like, I don't understand what is going on. This is really puzzling and confusing and there's stories unfolding. And it can be hard to kind of Dig, your, dig yourself into the book and get your arms around what Hebrews is really about. And so this morning, uh, what I'm going to do for about half of our time together this morning is I just want to lay the foundation. 
so that by the end of today, if somebody were to ask you, what is the book of Hebrews about, you would uh, be able to say, okay, I can kind of get my arms around uh, the landscape of the book of Hebrews. It's going to be important for us because, y'all, it is the deep end of the swimming pool. It's a titan of a book, and it's important for us as we jump into something like that, it's important for us to have a bit of the landscape kind of underneath us. And so today we're going to do that. And so we'll do that in a couple different ways. We will uh, ask a several different questions, like, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Anybody know? If you did know, you would be smarter than any scholar, any theologian, any pastor that has ever lived because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. In fact, we have really not a really good idea of the author of it. Um, Kind of throughout history and throughout time, there have been many assumptions and ideas. Hey, is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Barnabas? It could be Timothy, which we just came out of doing Timothy for eight weeks or something like that. Uh, but who wrote the book of Timothy? Now, I can say for certain it's probably not Paul. And if you kind of geek out and nerd out on like really the ins and outs of why that is, well, first of all, it doesn't sound like Paul. Um, we read Romans all of last year, and as we get through Hebrews, we'll say, these don't sound alike. Also, the author of Hebrews uh, refers to themselves as a uh, second-generation follower of Christ. That's not Paul. Um, and so we can probably pretty for certain say, Paul didn't write it. So if that's the case, who wrote uh, Hebrews? The best answer is, we don't know. There is some little remnants of a fun conversation that says it could be Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, who wrote the book of Hebrews. And we'll get to the reason why the author doesn't name him or herself in just a second. But I heard one theologian said, say this, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, whoever she is, she was brilliant. And I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. I like their, their angle on that. But we don't really know who wrote it. So next question that's going to help you gain some of the landscape is, what is the book of Hebrews? Now, if you are new to engaging the scriptures and trying to dig into God's word, uh, this is going to be one of the first places that you really want to look, is what is the book of Hebrews? Because the truth is, we do this so normally and so naturally already, we don't even think about it. For example, when you get a text message you read that really different than you do an email. And you read an email really different than you would a magazine. And you read a magazine really different than you would like a cooking book. And you would read a novel different than a uh, cooking book. And you'd read a dictionary or how-to book really differently. And so what we need to understand about what the book of Hebrews is, what is it that we're actually holding? Because in my experience, whenever we ap approach the scriptures, oftentimes we read it like it's all the exact same thing, and it's not. You are essentially reading somebody else's mail. You're jumping into a part of the conversation. Catch this nuance of this. The scriptures were not written to you. They were written for you. And so our job as faithful followers of Jesus Christ is to engage with what is it that we are actually um, reading because they're, they're, they're written for us. Because the Bible is not one book. 
this should be pretty obvious, hopefully, to, to many of us. The Bible is not one book. It is a library of books. It is a collection of books. It's a, it's a collection of 66 books. In fact, it's the world's first Kindle that you are holding in your hands. That's what it is. And in this, in this library, this collection of books, you're reading many different types of literature, you're reading, you're reading like wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs. You're reading uh, historical books like Joshua or, Judges, or the book of Judges. You're reading a book that does not even mention God's name one time. And that's in our Bible. And we call it scripture, the book of Esther. We're reading a book in the Bible where they, when they were compiling the books of the Bible, they said, we have to leave this book out. It's too erotic. Oh, I got your attention, did I? <laughs> That's the book of Song of Solomon. It's the story of two lovers. It's a beautiful story, and that's included in our scriptures. And then you get to the Newer Testament, and you have the Gospels, which tell the story of uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you find letters, which are letters that uh, mostly Paul wrote to young Timothy or to churches that he was pastoring. And so we have to ask, if you want to get the landscape of how to engage the scriptures, what is it that we are holding in our hands? What kind of literature, what kind of book is this? And there is this very funny phrase that appears at the very end of the book of Hebrews that says, it is a book of exhortation. That doesn't mean anything to me either. It probably doesn't mean anything to you. But in Greek, that word is an idiom for sermon. So what the idea is, is that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is a sermon that would have circulated in all of the synagogues of the time. And that it was, bit, it was meant to be read as a sermon that was to be preached out. Side note, it, which is... If Priscilla did write the book of Hebrews, would make a whole lot of sense of why she didn't include her name. Because no doubt back then there were some probably very conservative synagogues that would not have received um, a word from uh, a woman as a welcoming. And so she just left her, her name out and she snuck it in there anyways, right? So what we're holding is a sermon. Now, Okay, with that said, let's ask one more question before we dive into the book of Hebrews. And that is, why Hebrews? Why, what's the point of the book? We know, we don't know, sorry, who wrote it. We know what it is. It's a sermon. But why is the book of Hebrews significant? Now, over and over again, you're going to see this common shoot pop up over and over and again in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews says one thing and one thing over and over. Jesus is better. <laughs> Jesus is just better. The uh, book of Hebrews written, as the name says, to Jewish people that had placed their faith in the Messiah that now started to face persecution and pushback and heartbreak. And they're beginning to wonder, have we signed up for the wrong team? And what the author of Hebrews wants you to know, Jesus is is better. He's better than any heartache. He's better than any persecution. He's better than any suffering. He's better than anything that you will face in your life. Jesus is just better. It's better than it all, and he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. 
And so they were starting to struggle and wonder, should I return to kind of the older uh, Testament way of life? And what the author of Hebrews wants you to know is Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Um, The prophets were good. Nothing wrong with them, but Jesus is better. Torah was good. The scripture was good. But Jesus is the lens in which we understand the scriptures through, right? And so over and over again, this phrase, Jesus is better. Now, let's pause. We haven't even begun preaching yet. (laughs) So let me just say this. How many of us need to hear that this morning? How many of us actually need to hear? Remember, it's not written to us. It's written for us. How many of us actually need to hear that Jesus is better? He's better. He's better than whatever is in front of you. He's better than the pain that follows you around. He's better than your circumstances. He's better than your feelings. He's better than your emotions. He's better. He's just better. He's better. He's better. He's better. better. Over and over again. That is the heartbeat of the book of Hebrews. Now, brothers, sisters, we're going to open up the book of Hebrews yeah. yeah, it is. Now we're into it. Okay, so let's read uh, Hebrews, just a couple verses as we kind of dive into it. Now that you've got the context and you know what's going on. Okay, let's go. It says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, and at many times, and many various other ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all all things, and through also he made the universe. The writer of Hebrews starts out the book of Hebrews by saying this. It used to be, it used to be that God spoke through the prophets, that God spoke through the, like the temple system, but now God has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. God has given us the fullest, the fullness, the full revelation of who he is. The old, uh, Uh, the Levitical code, the temple, the prophets, nothing wrong with them. Let's not erase them. They are beautiful, and Jesus actually affirms them. But he says, Jesus is better because it helps us have a fuller picture of the breadth of the story that is going on. That Jesus is how God speaks. That Jesus is how God speaks. Now, I want us to pause and consider that for a second this morning because I'm not sure we really wrestle with that enough. That how God speaks is Jesus. This is uh, an emperor named uh, Frederick II. He lived in the 13th century, and he was kind of crazy. He was pretty famous for uh, all of these weird science experiments, and he was fascinated. One of his earliest uh, experiments, he was fascinated with what is the original language? What is the language that Adam and Eve spoke? Because if I can learn the original language, there's power and there's, uh, there's unlocking if you can know the original language that Adam and Eve spoke. So what he did was the emperor snatched five infants, babies, brand new, snatched them out of their homes, took them into his kingdom, and he gave strict instructions to the caretakers. Do not communicate with them. Do not speak to them. Do not talk to them. The only thing you can do is feed them and change them. No hugging, no rapping, no interacting, no communication, no talking to them. Because he wanted to see as they developed 
what language would they speak? And then he could uncover the secret language of Adam and Eve. That was his experiment. Now, you know what happened? It failed horribly. All five children reportedly died. Because what he found out is that they could not live without being spoken to. Without being communicated to. And friends, let me be real honest. You can't either. You cannot exist without the Lord speaking to you. Without the Lord steadying you with his presence. What is normal for every single follower of Jesus is to hear the voice of dad. It's abnormal, friends. Please, ah, please forgive me. This is not, I don't want, this is not about guilt. Please hear me say that. But you are designed to hear his voice. You are designed to enjoy his presence. You are designed to enjoy his hug. And if you don't experience that, there's something that we need to wrestle with there. Because you are designed to be communicated with, with the father of the universe. That's his heartbeat for every single one of us. And the writer of Hebrews wants you to know, God is not silent. He has spoken. And the word of God, the way that God spoke, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The language of God, please nerd out with me, the language of God is Jesus. That's how God spoke. Don't call me a heretic, but I want us to be uh, a little edgy real quick. What's the word of God? Jesus. First John says what? In the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What's the word of God? Jesus. How does God speak? Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, and the Holy Scriptures are God's active voice in the world. We don't want to belittle that by any means, but... The word of God is Jesus in Jesus in the flesh. It's powerful. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact, if you're taking notes in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, circle it, the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That word, exact representation, carries with it the idea of a mold, of a cast. When you're baking like something, and I don't bake, but when you bake something like in a pan and you pour it in there, that is what it's saying. He is the exact mold, the exact imprint of God. It's like, you know, when they have those family rings and they would like dip them in the uh, wax and they would push it down. The imprint of that is Jesus. It's the exact representation of God, right? Okay. Just for example, do any of you remember these right here? (laughs) Do you remember these? So uh, I played, uh, let me be real honest, I didn't hit puberty until I was like a junior. And so playing football for me was a really poor decision. And so I started playing football in like sixth grade and everybody, everybody wanted to line up next to Hinky Bind because they would run me over every single time because I was super little. And honestly, I didn't like to get hit. I was the smallest on the team. Don't judge me. So, uh, but one of the kind of the rites of passage when you play football is... um, before you practice, before the game starts, before everything goes, you get one of these. And you get a pot of boiling water. 
and you dip it in the pot. And kind of the trick is, this, once you get it real hot, this will get moldable and soft. And so you wanted to dip it in the boiling water and then stick it in your mouth. But there was a trick. If you got it too hot, you would literally burn your mouth, right? But if you didn't get it hot enough, it wouldn't make the imprint. And so you would dip it in the water, wait like a minute, and, oh, and you bite down as hard as you could. You just bite down, right? And what was cool about that is, is when you would pad up and you get out there to play, every single time, every single time, you never have to wonder, you never have to guess, it always fit. Always fit. It's the exact, exact molds of my mouth. Do you know what the author of Hebrews is saying? Jesus is the exact mold of God. Every single time he fits God's character. Jesus fits God's character every single time. It says that he is the exact representation of God's glory. And I'm not so sure that we really wrestle with this enough. Because most of the time, can we be honest, we'll say things like, well, you kind of have God over here, and then Jesus is like the soft, lovey-dovey, nice, kind side of God. Because when I read things, whoo, the God of the Old Testament, Older Testament, he seems really angry, but we get an upgrade in Jesus 2.0. But remember, what's the author of Hebrews saying? He's the exact mold. He fits the character and nature of God Every single time. And for those of you that were a little disappointed when we didn't cover Paul this morning, look what Paul writes about this exact same idea. It's found in Colossians. Uh, let's go to the next slide. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is not a child, like firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. Firstborn is, firstborn kid gets everything that belongs to dad. Jesus got everything that his father belongs to his father, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Keep going, next slide. And he is the head of the body, the church, is the be- he is the beginning and the firstborn among all the dead, so that everything might, be, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have, listen to this, all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things of this earth, things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. The complete fullness is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the exact impression of God. Exact. Every single time he fits. Look what this says. Look at this next quote. It says this. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time that God was not like Jesus. We have not always known this, but now we do. It's the book of Hebrews. Like the old way, beautiful prophets, temples, all of that stuff, all beautiful. But now we know we have the exact representation of what God is like. And that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus doing something, that's what God is doing. When you see Jesus hanging out with lepers, that's what God is doing. Jesus didn't come with great ideas. Jesus was the great idea. There's a difference. Jesus was the 
fully God, the fullness of God dwelled in him. When you see Jesus eating meals with varsity level sinners, it's not that that's what Jesus would do. It's what God would do because Jesus is God and it's what God is actually doing. That's what the author of Hebrews wants you to know. Jesus is just better. He's better than everything. Just better because the fullness of God dwells in him. Now, Okay, so now that we said that, the book of Hebrews does this. Let's turn the left blinker on. And it goes on this strange little place that certainly I wouldn't have taken it, but I didn't write it. But it goes to this funny little place. And he starts talking about angels. Now, I don't know a whole lot about angels. I'm sure that there's a lot of people in here that are much more educated on angels than me. But let me just give you the context of the conversation so you know what's going on. During the time, there's two primary schools of thought. Um, you have the school of Antioch and the school of Alexander. For us today, it's comparable like A&M and UT. Both of these schools have distinct natures, characteristics, understandings, ways of being kind of in the world. No different back then. You had two schools, the school of Alexandria and the school of Antioch. The school of Alexandria was heavily Greek-influenced, which means, think, like Mount Olympus, Thor, uh, what are some other Greek gods? I don't know, Zeus, um, that would have come up and out of the school of Alexandria because they were influenced by heavy Greek culture. And what was happening, what was part of the conversation is that people were beginning to see angels, messengers of God in like godlike status. And the author of Hebrews says, stop it. Jesus is better. Angels, nothing wrong with angels. They're beautiful. Mission, they carry out the mission of God, but Jesus is better. Let's look at what it says. After he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Woo! Uh, the majesty on high. So he became much superior to the angels because he's better. As the name he inherited superior to theirs. For to which... This is where he gets a little uh, sixth grade girl, a little, little, little saucy with us this morning. He says this, for which angel did God ever say to you, are you my son? Today I have become your father, or I will be his father and you will be my son. Which one was that? No, he didn't do that. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, let all of God's angels worship him. Over and over, what's the book of Hebrews saying? Jesus is better. When you think of angels, I don't know what you think about, but do you all have pictures like this? <laughs> like the real sweet, soft, cuddly, gentle angels. Uh, I, I don't know much about angels, let me be honest. Um, but that's not biblical at all. <laughs> because every time you see in the scriptures, people encounter angels they think they're going to die. <laughs> and they're afraid and they drop to the ground and they start worshiping every single time. Powerful stuff. It's more like this. Go to the next slide. That's what I'm talking about. And so you can see like how the messengers of God were getting elevated to this God-like status that was um, uh, outside of the mold. And so the author of Hebrews says, angels are good, but Jesus is better. So let's go back there, all right? So let's kind of bring it home for us this morning and, and make just some observations about so what? 
What does the first four verses of Hebrews actually mean for us? Let's go to the next slide. It says this, that God is like Jesus and Jesus is how we understand the story. Jesus, what that means is that Jesus is now the lens that we not only engage the scriptures with, but our very lives. Every time you read the scriptures, you have to read it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the fullness of God. Used to be God talked that way. It used to be, but now God has spoken in Jesus. He is the lens, the filter in which we read the scriptures. Let me tell you this. This should change the way you approach the Older Testament. When you read the Older Testament, and it's a struggle for me. There are parts in there that I honestly, it's super difficult to swallow. But if I'm reading the Older Testament and I land on a place that does not match up with the character and nature found in Jesus Christ, it's not the Bible's fault. I'm not reading it correctly. Because what the author of Hebrews is saying, the fullness of God has been made known. He is the word of God made flesh. And now Jesus is the way that we understand the story. Absolutely true. Jesus is not a great teacher. He was not this um, unbelievable rabbi that had all of these new teachings. Jesus was the great idea. He was the great idea. He was it. When he says things like, love your enemies, it's not that that's a great idea and you should do it. That's what God is doing. (laughs) And there's a distinction. When you see Jesus going really low and saying, if you want to be great, you got to serve everybody. That's not a great idea. I mean, yeah. But that's what God is doing. Because that's what God is doing. We have to read the story, our story now, through the lens and filter of Jesus Christ. And you and I are designed to pour our lives into that mold. Like, our lives should be like this. Uh, Every time you take it out, it's the exact imprint of Jesus. You're not created for you. You're created for him. And the mold of my life, single focused. Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the mold that you pour your life into. And when you pour your life into the mold... You get Jesus every single time. You get the Father every single time. Question. How is your mold right now? Because if you're like me, that's a sobering question. Because I think about all of the things that I pour my life into that are not that mold. Friends, uh, Tuesday night, I came unglued at my sixth grade girl because we had four grade alerts and it was 8.30 at night. She hadn't done any of her homework. And you know what I'm thinking in my mind? I'm thinking, how in the world is she ever going to be successful in middle school? How in the world is she ever going to 
get into college. I don't have the money to pay for college. She got to get a scholarship and she can't even pass sixth grade. And the list is going on and on. And I'm realizing that's not the mold. It's not the mold. It's not the mold. The mold is Jesus and Jesus alone. You can pour your life into a lot of really good things. Should I pour my life into my kids? Absolutely. You should pour your life into your family, your kids, your wife, your husband, your job. But it's not the mold. The mold is Jesus. And when you pour your life into the mold, you get the perfect imprint every single time. That's what Hebrews wants you to know. This semester, we're going to... We're going to do something bold and do something I think is going to be really fun. And we've talked a little bit about this in the community, oh, over the last six months or so. But I've been doing this for about two years. And the guys that I meet with, I say, come on, this is what we're doing, non-negotiable. So if you have your phones right now, I'd really like for you to get out your phones. And we are talking about this idea of pouring our life into the mold of Jesus Christ. On my phone, every single day, I have an alarm that goes off at 7.30 because that's when the crazy stops. That's when the kids are in school and I'm driving into work. And the title for my alarm is Lord, Include Me. And I pray that every single day at 7.30. I want to pour my life into the mold. Not my day. I didn't create it. I, didn't hold, I don't hold the universe together. I didn't create, it's not, not mine. The day belongs to him. And I want to pour my life into the mold. And so I'm challenging you right now, Riverside, set your alarm every single day. Lord, include me. And you watch what that one simple act, how it will transform the way you, the way you actually see way you actually enjoy and experience the Lord. Because the question is, is not whether the Lord is going to include you. The only question is, is do you want to participate? And I want us to be a community that radically pours our life into the mold of Jesus Christ. So the way that that'll kind of work, we'll do that all semester long. And during worship, our worship time, we're going to show you uh, some examples of what that looks like each week. And so each week we'll... uh, get ready. We may ask you to share yours of how the Lord included you. But we'll show you a short 30 second, 45 second little video of this was my Lord include me this this week. You know what mine was this last week? How the Lord included me? I got to get up Wednesday morning and go apologize to my child. <laughs> Baby girl, daddy blew it. The mold is Jesus and I was not him at all. And I need to ask for your forgiveness so kind of the Lord that he gets to include me that way. What a beautiful picture. Could we be a community that just radically plays, prays, Lord include me and watch how that might get walked out in our lives and we'll celebrate that on Sunday morning. Probably the best Lord include me that the world has ever known is something that we get to celebrate today. Something friends that we have not done in almost six months together. And I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Uh, But we get to celebrate communion together. This ancient, beautiful ritual where God said, 
I include you. And we got wrote into the story. And God reached in and took something that was dead and breathed new life into it. And we get to share in that ancient meal together this morning. Now, we are not going to get to do it the way that we typically do it by coming up and taking the bread and uh, juice. And so we'll do it in a little bit different way. On your chairs, you'll find the little communion cup. You can start opening just the lid of that. And on the night in which Christ was betrayed, he was sharing a meal with his friends. And he took the bread and he broke it and blessed it and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Let's take the bread. And when the meal was over, he took the cup and said, Take, drink. This is my blood poured out for you and for many. A sign of the new covenant. And Riverside, Jesus is better. Because he gave the best to us. Let's take the blood. And so, Father... We thank you for the book of Hebrews. That you're a God that speaks. God, that you're a God that has spoken in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we want to be a people that fit the mold. God, that we are people that radically pour our lives into the mold of Jesus Christ. And that anything that doesn't fit that mold has to go. God, thank you that you're a God that included us. That when we were not chasing you, you ran us down. That you pursued us. And so God, now here in this moment, God, we offer ourselves back to you. You are the mold. You are the cast. You are the design. You are the DNA. May we be a community of people that are so in love with Jesus that there is no other mold that will fit. We love you, Jesus. And we're grateful for the work that you've done here this morning.